We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike. Darius is out today. And the Phoenix Suns controlled game one with victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. They it was a tight first half, but they, you know, they controlled that first half. We're up by eight at halftime. And then uh third quarter explosion really put the game away and the Bucks really never got close after that. Mike, Chris Paul went off in the middle of that game. Uh, a lot of interesting storylines on the court. Giannis looked pretty good, all things considered, which makes the win by Phoenix even more impressive. Yeah, I guess. I, I Here's what I'll say, Pete. So you as, <laughs> you as somebody that has been a Laker fan your whole life, you've seen a million playoff games. And I grew up watching the Bulls uh, before the Timberwolves started. And then once I started working for the Lakers, of course, there was there were a lot of important playoff games that I saw. And game one, there's a massive advantage to the home team uh, in this type of case, usually if they go in with the type of rest advantage that Phoenix had. So Phoenix had four yeah. days of extra rest, right? The Bucks last played on Wednesday of last week. Or excuse me, uh, the Suns last played, played on Wednesday of last week. The Bucks had to play Thursday and Saturday. So that's so between Wednesday and obviously Tuesday night's game, that's a big advantage. That also helps the game plan. And we saw Chris Paul specifically, who if you give him time, just like if you give LeBron or Rondo time, we spoke about that on the last pod. That's something that he, together with Monty Williams, of course, is going to come in and they're going to have an advantage there, especially when we I don't think people put Bud and the Bucks at the top of the list in terms of preparation and game plan and that kind of stuff. So that was the second edge. And then you also had the home court um, and th- then the Giannis angle of him, of the, of the Bucks not knowing for sure if he was going to play. I thought that also hurt the Bucks from a game plan standpoint, because they didn't really get to go through a, a real either practice or shoot around, whereas the Suns have had consecutive days. So I'm, I'm not taking credit away from the Suns. They did their job. Chris Paul was fantastic again. But I think there are a lot of obvious areas of adjustment for Milwaukee that we already started to see some in the fourth quarter. And the fact that they have Giannis looking at least reasonably healthy 
Pete, I think is a big deal. And so I'm just kind of cautioning that we don't watch that game and think up oh, series is over. Like the, the Bucks have some cards to play. And this is a matchup that I think is going to be close as the series unfolds. Absolutely. That's something that we talked about in the preview for this series where giving Monty Williams it, uh, they're, they are for as much as we talked about cohesion this year with respect to the Lakers, they're the opposite end of that. And it's their team. We'll get, I'll get more into the, you know, the details of the X's and O's as the pod goes on. But in the third quarter, Milwaukee went from switching on defense, which is what they did for most of the first half. They switched back into their drop, which is what they normally do. And usually an offense, like the way that you beat a switch is completely different from how you would beat a drop. And it usually takes an offense a few plays to kind of adjust, right? Whether when there's a defensive schematic change, there's a couple plays where it's like, all right, we got to do this other thing instead. And then getting into a rhythm of it and all of the, the timing of it. Phoenix goes immediately like they don't they're able to switch their attack immediately without that two or three play adjustment period that most teams have when that happens. And that's a testament to their cohesion with respect to the strategy of the game. I thought it was super fascinating that Milwaukee came out switching and they put P.J. Tucker on Chris Paul to start the game because they knew that those ball screens were going to come. And P.J. Tucker could at least hold his ground against a DeAndre Ayton. Ayton's going to win the battles over the top, won some offensive rebounding battles against him as well. But it was a way to put to to neutralize their pick and roll attack. However, Brooke Lopez, despite scoring 17 points, was a minus 17 in just 22 minutes. Chris Paul and Devin Booker really looked to target him. Is that something that you think they can sustainably do? Can you switch with Lopez on the floor when you've got these two guards? You can do it better than they did. I think that one thing they could do is just adjust where they put Brooke in that, and they could just have him up higher, which he had to do last round against Trey Young. Now, like Trey Young and Chris Paul played the screen role a lot differently, and there's some not subtle. There's some big differences, just especially like how high Trey Young has to be covered and not because he's that much better of a three point shooter than Chris Paul, but just because he will take a million more threes and from that further out. And so that adjusts things right there. And then his floater game is a little different from Chris, who's going more into the setup kind of fadeaway jumper in that range, whereas Trey is going to pull up before. But like Brooke can adjust to that some. That's obviously part of it. And like because they can't go. They can't just not have Lopez on the floor at all. So I think he'll play better. They'll adjust where they put him some, Pete. And then I I just can't help. I'm always watching it since I'm uh, employed by the Lakers still in Spectrum. I'm always watching this for at least with a little bit, thinking about the Lakers and all of these things that now Milwaukee's got to try to find answers for. It's like the Lakers have all those answers, you know? Yeah. And and that's, I think, the the hard part probably for AD sitting there in his home watching this or LeBron sitting there watching this and just being like, we know how to deal with this. You know, and and so that's that's where Milwaukee's got to show. Right. They don't have the that's the thing. The Lakers do have the perfect answer for something like that. The Bucks don't have a perfect answer, Pete, but they've got some they've got some different things they can try to put together to, to handle it. This playoffs has been so much about perimeter mobility, and that's something that with our bigs we've generally had. And that that is what counters on these switches and and these higher hedges. And that's the thing about Phoenix is from watching that game. We talk about the different coverages, your drops versus switches, but there are decisions that are made within the coverage where you talked about bringing Lopez up higher, even on a switch. Now you're saying he's going to get beat off of the dribble. That's if you're going to switch with Lopez on the floor, you have to 
he's not going to be able to guard Devin Booker or Chris Paul in space. And so how do you adjust to that is you predetermine the way that you're, he is going to get beat. Watching Chris Paul shoot pull-up and sidestep jumpers over and over again, that's what he wants to do. Mike, I think that just in general, they need to start funneling Phoenix's guards into the paint to really have a chance to, to be able to defend that. Because even if Brooke Lopez is out on the perimeter on that back line, you've got an excellent rotational defender in PJ Tucker and who's probably on Aiton after that switch. But you've also got got Giannis who again, through that Lakers lens, he's not Anthony Davis in terms of, he doesn't change direction as quickly as AD does, but he is somebody who can erase a lot of mistakes. And so to me, if the Bucks are going to have a chance to switch effectively with Lopez on the floor, you've got to ball pressure Chris Paul, especially, and say, go to the rim and make pass out of these uh, pass out, either make shots or pass out amongst the trees. If he's just shooting sidestep jumpers from 16 feet, he's going to kill Lopez the entire series. And that's what we saw in game one. Yeah, I think that's part. That's definitely that's that's one way to look at it that I think it's all everything you just said is true. If you, if you also just consider you could have Brooke Lopez in a drop and then just have him higher in a drop. I think that's part of what they did with Trey Young. So you're not necessarily switching, but like, can you, can you explain that? Like, how would you, how would that look if they just had him adjust his angle sort of in how high he's going on it? Yeah, no. So this, that's a, an adjustment they made in the Atlanta series for sure. And they did switch to that drop in the third quarter when Lopez was on the floor, but it didn't work particularly well. And that's somewhere. And we saw this in the Clippers series with Phoenix as well, where that's where Aiton starts to really shine offensively. And that's if Milwaukee's going to be in a drop, and I do think that those higher drops, so having Lopez come up a little higher to not surrender just a wide open pull up jumper, there are two things that you're surrendering if you do that. Have him come up higher the lob, the lob to Aiden yeah. and CP3 getting to the basket. Now, every defense in general in the NBA is kind of a pick your poison proposition. If I have the choice between CP3 shooting, comfortable jumpers in space and driving to the rim. I'm going to have him drive to the rim and trust my rotations. Uh, but with respect to the lob, that was one thing that Milwaukee did a very poor job of. And a guy in general on both ends of the floor that I was like, oh, this dude is killing them is Drew Holiday. He missed so many tags. Middleton missed some tags on. And so if they're going to show higher with Lopez, that weak side defender has to get in front of Aiton. And then that means the skip pass is open to Bridges or Cam Johnson or someone like that. But I think that that is their best option amongst not a lot of great ones. And I think holidays plays a factor in that where like you, ideally you have Lopez up a little higher holidays, back pressuring or whomever is on the ball is back pressuring. And you want to make Phoenix not quite as comfortable on that, but credit to Phoenix for really exploiting what Milwaukee was doing. Yeah. And I think that, so all of these schematic adjustments, those it's not just going to be a Phoenix advantage. Like Milwaukee's going to find some parts in the series where they have advantages there too. And like, as so Pete, this is something I always think about in the playoff series and what we see LeBron, for example, almost always ends up winning a playoff series because soon enough, it's pretty obvious. Both teams know exactly what the other team's top three pitches are and they know how to prep for it. And then it's like, can you stop it? You know, can you stop our bread and butter thing? And mm -hmm. I think the Bucks will at some point, whether it's game two, 
whether it's game three, they will optimize what their lineup is against Phoenix. They will optimize what their sets are. And that's where then maybe the Bucks start to have a bit more of an advantage based on size and, and the kind of stuff that we were talking about in our preview pod for this. Because what I thought was, so the, the Suns did have the X's and O's advantage in game one. That's true. Um, but the real reason they won was the free throw line. And so they made 25 of 26 at the line. That it's the percentage there isn't actually that misleading because they are a historically great free throw shooting team. Uh, because Aiton, although he doesn't get there much, uh, certainly hits them. Chris Paul and Booker are terrific. It reminds you a little bit of the Warriors in that context, where like if they get to the line and Draymond doesn't have to go there too much, you know they're going to bank a, a, a ton of them just because of their backcourt. The Blazers a little bit similar. Uh, the Bucks only got there 16 times and they made nine of them. Now you know the same thing. Giannis is going to miss free throws. But that part of it, I think, to me, is more reflective in that four days off element. Like Phoenix was just moving a little better. They were not a, lot, a little better. They're moving a lot better. They were faster. They were getting to loose balls. Like because the rest of the stuff, three pointers, actually Milwaukee had an advantage, right? They were 16 to 36. The Suns were 11 for 34. And that that might be kind of a rhythm thing. But I think those types of things in this series, X's and O's aside, are going to even out some. And so as I say that, let me, I'm curious to pick your brain on this. How much of the X's and O's do you think are incorporated in the free throw attempts? Like, do you agree with me that the free throw attempts were more a product of the energy and sort of the home and and like the attacking and all that? Or do you think that there's something that, that like Milwaukee had to follow more, right? Because of the way that Phoenix was executing in their, in their X's and O's. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both in that, uh, yeah, absolutely. Phoenix was quicker to the ball. They were a step ahead for decent portions of that game in ways where that'll be more even as the series as the series goes on. And I think game two is going to be a closer game as that begins to even out. That said, even in the series where we played them, Phoenix does a great job of packing the paint. The Bucks are their core of what they do is being dominant on the in- interior, which obviously Giannis is the centerpiece of that. And when they got clear outs for Giannis against Jay Crowder or whomever would be, even even Aiton, Giannis was getting to the rim, able to finish around the basket. But what we saw in their series against us, we saw against in game one against the Bucks, where Phoenix is really good at collapsing into the paint. And they are willing to surrender jump shots to a certain extent in a way that, and this again goes to where Drew Holiday becomes super important for the rest of the series. I thought he really overpenetrated. And so that lack of free throw attempts is kind of this we're going to collapse into the paint and not really allow these penetration dribble penetration lanes. And that makes the jump shooting of holiday and Middleton all the more important. And they didn't quite come through to the degree that they needed. Obviously Middleton played better as the game went on, but that holiday in particular becomes a guy that he's got to not only produce, but it's got to be jump shots. You can't be, he likes getting into that 15, 18 foot range where really the opportunities are behind the three-point arc. So Milwaukee's three-point shooting is really going to be essential going forward. No question. And the other part, Pete, like if you look at the splits from this game, if you look at the shooting numbers and the shot charts are very, very similar. So it's kind of interesting. Both these teams attacked in relatively the same way. So they both attempted 88 field goals overall. And the three-pointers, 36 to 34, like almost identical the other part of the, the thing that I think the Bucks are just going to get better at just uh, automatically is that they were missing a bunch of bunnies. 
So I think they end up yeah, 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, 21 for 41 in the paint for Milwaukee. That's bad it, for a team that yeah. has Giannis and and yeah. Holiday like good fit. They will so some that will change. That will be 28 for 41 next game. You know, like they'll make seven more shots. Phoenix, meanwhile, was really efficient. They were 22 for 34 at 65 percent. And we know that part of that's going to transition fine because Aiton does finish everything over the top, but they're not going to get everybody else inside. So it's another area like fast break points are about the same, you know, 17 to 20 second chance points, not really a thing, seven to three. So it's the free throw line and finishing stuff at the rim. These are areas that Milwaukee just is going to get better. And that instead of it being a a 10 to 13 point game, you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of what we thought. I think it's going to be really close. Maybe we could, we could get this after the break, but do we want to either change our predictions? Uh, I don't know if we even stated them uh, before the series based on this game, or is there something that you like, are, are you going to stick with what you originally thought after game one? I'm, I'm curious how we would deal with that. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll get to that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So prior to the series, I thought Phoenix would win in six or seven. I thought it'd be a close series, but I think Phoenix has the advantage with with Giannis, uh, you know, coming off of an injury, especially this game actually did move the needle for me a little bit in ways that uh, I am. I can be more of a prisoner of the moment than you. And that's why I'm really intrigued by you seem more optimistic about the Bucks than than I am. One thing you said earlier that I thought was interesting was that Milwaukee started to figure some things out. You saw in the that fourth quarter, sometimes a team, you know, when they're up by high teens or 20s, there's a an intensity discrepancy, right, where the team that goes ahead doesn't quite play with the same verve that got them there in the first place because they don't feel that like you can't fake desperation. And so that is more of where I come from on in that fourth quarter. But what did you see that gives you a little more optimism that this is going to be a, a close series? Because now I'm a little more like I think Phoenix has this 
like under control. I don't think it's going to be a sweep or anything, but I think that it's it's going to be tougher. Whereas I love our uh, the dynamic is always here where you go optimistic and I'm like wanting you to say realistic, right? Uh, it's our, our our little thing that goes back. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, um, I I loved how you handled that when I I just completely stepped on the tees and just did it myself, and then you just came in and, and did a quick toss. That was brilliant. Um, I liked how you did that. I, I, I'm that learning. I'm radio. learning how to do the whole host thing, man. I'm still yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and okay, can I do just a quick tangent? So I've been I've been sipping some tea here. The throat, uh, you know, the throat woke up like a little bit sore, but I'm fine. And my wife points this out all the time. I am a I am a sipper to the point where I'll be like, when even when I'm thinking that I'm kind of protecting myself from the heat, and I think I learned this from my mom. It goes way back when I realized. Do you sip like that to the point where people will point it out, or do you just are you able to drink something hot and just have it go down like it would something cold? No, I actually generally don't like hot drinks for exactly that reason. I don't know how you people do that. Like my coffee, I want it cold. My tea, I want it cold. Oh, wow. I don't know how y'all do. Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, I, folks, you're welcome. You now know that uh, that Pete Zayas does not necessarily like drinking anything hot. This, this time without Darius is gonna we're gonna be getting to some topics. You know, we're really that, uh, peeling back the onion. Okay, <laughs> uh, good. So now, general thoughts on the series, which I will I will say I think are realistic, and Pete may call optimistic. I, I thought before the series started that the Suns were I, I thought the Suns were a slight favorite and therefore I picked them. You know, I, I think I, I would have picked them in seven games. And the reason is they're they're really close in talent. They're really close. Neither of them are perfect teams. We talked about this before. They are good, but not great. But Phoenix is a much better crunch time team. And it's pretty obvious if you think about why Chris Paul is going to make sure that Phoenix is in the right set. They're getting they're getting a good shot. He's not going to turn the ball over. Milwaukee, on the other hand, their best player is Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is not great in those situations when the defense is stacked, when he can, like, and yet his presence on the court means that they're not going to be comfortable just having him be a screen roll dive decoy or, or not even decoy, but like he can be a, 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 a basically what DeAndre Ayton does. In those sets, I think is what Giannis should usually do. It doesn't mean he can't attack in transition. It doesn't mean there aren't some pet plays they can go to for him, which they did break out in the in the Hawks series that were nice in crunch time. But it, if they were running it more through Holiday and Middleton, and Giannis was the guy that was uh, again basically a distraction or a decoy, I think that would make them more effective. But they force stuff through Giannis. He'll face up and he'll he'll end up in some bad situations. So Phoenix, to me, that's where they get the edge, and that's where in a series like this, I think that's kind of tighten up and nothing in game one changed that. I just also, what I'm trying to do is not overreact and think, Oh, look at Milwaukee struggle to deal with this. They will do better. The problem Pete in the last, I would have picked Milwaukee if they had one more body, um, particularly in the backcourt because where they get in trouble is the place where the Lakers never got in trouble last season when they were healthy is they can always go to Caruso or Kuzma if green or K- or KCP didn't have it on a certain night. And those guys plugged right in. They didn't lose anything defensively too much, uh, or they picked something up offensively. If they lost some spacing with KCP, they could gain in Caruso's back cuts and screens at the right time, you know, and, and just him picking things up on defense. So when DiVincenzo went down, that meant their small lineup was going to have a little bit of trouble. And so if Brooke Lopez is off the floor, we mentioned how they got better in certain situations with Brooke off the floor. So you're going Giannis, PJ Tucker, Middleton, Holiday, and then who's the fifth guy? Well, sometimes it can be Connaughton, 
but then you're you're lacking a, a little something there. Sometimes it, it could it be Bobby Portis, could it be Brent Forbes, could it be Jeff Teague? Like none of those guys are able to to do it on both sides of the court. And I think Phoenix can better fill that type of situation. So for those reasons, Pete, I, I'm kind of sticking with Phoenix. I just um, I, I think it's going to be a little closer than some might think after watching game one. Yeah, I think Connaughton is far and away their best option amongst those. Uh, they tried switching with with Portis. So that was one thing that Milwaukee did is in the third quarter, they switched to that drop with Lopez and then Booker hit a, an elbow jumper and then Chris Paul hit a couple and they really got going and they called a timeout and took Lopez out, put Portis in, tried to switch Portis on to Chris Paul and Chris Paul just ate his lunch. Now, part of that was poor point of attack defense, but I'm not expecting Bobby Portis to win many of those battles. Yeah. And so I think that Milwaukee's best lineups going forward are going to be Giannis at the five lineups where it's still a mix of switching and dropping. I think that I thought it was interesting that Budenholzer started the series switching. I don't think he's ever done that. And so I think that speaks to the degree of confidence that he has in their ability to drop. I'm with you that Milwaukee needs one more body, but this is at this point of the playoffs, like my frustration with the injuries in these playoffs has not necessarily been role player related. It's like superstars that make massive swings in series that the absence of them. And so like missing a DiVincenzo is going to happen to some degree, right? Like in, at this level of basketball, that's always going to happen. Uh, but I think that. So you're right, but that's where the lack of depth on the roster for the bucks is a problem. Yes. So you, if, so like the Lakers, if they missed KCP last postseason, that would have been tough, but they would have had another body that they could have put in there. And well, I, they I think, were already missing Avery Bradley. That it kind of speaks to the point, like that they were able yeah. to win the title, is that they were already one guy down, and they were able to plug and play. That's right, and that was Brooklyn's. So Brooklyn, same thing. They had plenty of guys that they could have just plugged in, and the Lakers, but they needed the stars. And so in this case, obviously everybody needs the stars, but the Lakers were kind of covered I, from the role player perspectives, and and that's all. So I think Phoenix now. Sharich being out, we I haven't seen yet, and this may be out by the time he only played two minutes, right? He got hurt. So they will just play to me. You just it's like more Jay Crowder, more Cam Johnson. I guess you do a little bit of Kaminsky, but that's dangerous, so probably not. Like they'll just kind of try to cover it that way. That seems to be a less of a of a blow, right, than DiVincenzo, who's a starter. Now, if they, if they lost Crowder or Miles Bridges, you know, then that's that's a bigger deal, even though you could put Cam Johnson in. I just I think Phoenix's depth, I, I suppose, is my point here. It's a little better than Milwaukee's. Oh, it's a lot better than Milwaukee's for yeah. sure. So how do how does Milwaukee survive that? Giannis was a plus one in this game. It was the non Giannis minutes where they really struggled. And he ended up playing 35 minutes in this one. But uh, how do they in, in the in the lineups where because Giannis Giannis, I think, plays toward that that whole AD advantage that, that we had over them is they don't really have the personnel to handle a guy like that. That's part of the reason that even in a fairly limited state, he was able to swing a lot of the action. But as when he went out of the game, you know, Middleton's got to step up. Uh, Holiday's got to step up. What does that look like for Milwaukee? If they're going to at least tread water in those minutes? Yeah. So I also think they can't just think, Oh, we made a little bit of a comeback here going small. And therefore that's the answer for sure. Like Brooke Lopez lineups are going to have to, and I think will play better like they did against Atlanta. So they're part of that will adjust. They will, they will do a couple of things better. They'll finish better inside. Giannis will have a bit more in the tank. 
than he did for this game. They'll, the free throw line stuff will straighten out some. So I, I think that the plus minus in game one is a, is a little bit misleading, but you're also not wrong. They have to figure out those. How do we get to and maximize that small lineup? And if it is going to be more Giannis at the five, it's what you said before. Okay, so Aiden then, the lob's going to be on for Aiden. So are you going to help earlier from the corners? And are you just going to say, hey, Bridges, go ahead, take eight threes. And if you make five, like we're in big trouble. If you make three, we're fine. Jay Crowder, Pete, I, the, I, I'm trying to remember somebody this hot and cold. Like Danny Green would get hot and cold, but not to the level. Like Crowder was 0 for 5, right? And what was he in game seven? Like six for seven against yeah. the Clippers? Yeah. And same thing against the Lakers. He, so so he he went from 30% to 60% to 30% in the three. And, but that's just what he does. So maybe that's the guy you're like, hey, fine. If Jay Crowder is going to, if he has his hot game, like we're, we're screwed. But we're not giving up that backside lob. And so those yep. are the kinds of things that Milwaukee yep. can go back and forth on. Uh, so, in, Pete, in addition to getting back to this, I, I, just, I know the people are curious. So do you, you're not a coffee guy, neither am I. I've never been a guy. Never had coffee. Do you? you really do you? <laughs> do you see caffeine? And so, because I'm not a caffeine guy either. Um, I I like to drink Mountain Dew for the pure sugar and the taste of it. I love the taste of a Mountain Dew, but I'll have one like every other day because I used to drink more. Me and Karan Butler and Kevin Ding actually had a thing, but I don't. So I don't do a caffeine thing in the morning. Are you on, on natural highs when you wake up? Since you don't do anything hot. And you don't do caffeine even from tea. Like, what's up, Pete? Talk to us. I uh, it's it's iced coffee every morning. Yeah, oh, every iced single coffee. morning. I did. Yeah. You, okay, you said that. That's that's my lack of li- my lack of listening. My fault. Yeah, okay. it happens. Ice uh, coffee. You're really so, fascinated by the series, huh? <laughs> so every every morning though, iced coffee. Yeah, it's it, every single morning. I I'm a creature of habit when it comes to iced coffee and a banana. And you've also never lived in a cold environment. Absolutely not. No, okay. I'm okay. good. Yeah. I'm good on all that. Yeah, no, I okay. I know what I have here. I have enough. I have family from Minnesota. We had a family reunion there once uh, during the summer. I got bit. I remember I was like ten years old. I got bit. I think twenty six times on one arm by mosquitoes, and I was like, that "Yeah, no, I'm good on, on, on yeah, this." Well, yeah. Well, so guys, if you've learned anything else, it's here. Here are some things from the lake uh, from Minnesota. Me, Pete's family, and the Lakers. So, oh, just saying. That's it. That's. That, that's a good pro Minnesota argument. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm steering us back on course. Yeah. No, so Pete, I, I will retoss it to you thinking about the uh, sort of this matchup and what you see adjustment standpoint. Basically the question that you asked me, like what's your answer for game two adjustments for the Bucks? I think in the Lopez lineups, you have to do what you were saying there with pulling attention off of Crowder. I think that's ultimately where, and now Phoenix is going to put it in, put him in places where that's harder to do. And they are going to want the weak side tag to come off of Cam Johnson or Bridges. Those are their guys they want shooting those corner threes because they're more consistent on those looks than Crowder is, as you appropriately pointed out. But I do think that you're going when Lopez is in because I I agree with you that he's going to have to play. Those lineups are probably going to be better. But there's a reason those lineups weren't good from a structural schematic standpoint, and there is a certain amount of paying attention that that. That also speaks to your point, though, Mike, about the preparation time is if your primary attack is to switch and that's switching is fairly simple, at least relative to the others. It's less connected five on five. Now, the way that Phoenix sets screens and then 
Aiton will reverse pivot underneath. They had some lob opportunities. And there was one play where they were like fronting the post on Aiton after a switch. And then Cam Johnson immediately flashes middle and they got a great high low lob. Like Phoenix is really good at reading what the situation is and then going right to their counter. That said, if I'm picking my poison with Phoenix, Crowder is absolutely a guy that's that's going to happen with with respect to Lopez. But aside from that, I think those small lineups, Mike, with Giannis at the five, Connaughton, but they don't have a ton of depth. Like Giannis is going to have to play 40 minutes yeah. if he can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, And that's part of the reason why I've moved my needle a little even more toward Phoenix in that I think that Milwaukee's already deeper into their have-to-make-adjustments you know, that's always a battle going on. And even in the series where we played Miami in the finals last season, by game three, Spolster was on like plan F and we were still on plan A. And at some point you just kind of run out of of options. And so that's why I've, I've moved a little more. That's fair. One thing I think about with Phoenix. So the Clippers series, it, they finally learned. It took them a while. They learned in game three. Oh, our small lineup is going to be have the best chance because Aiden's not going to properly be able to punish it to the extent that we're not going to, we're going to be able to get these kind of looks on offense. Then Kawhi gets hurt. And so it's, I do think Phoenix should, or Milwaukee should take something else from that. Like they can take something from the Lakers bludgeoning the Suns and use Giannis in certain ways like that as a hammer. And they can take some things from the small lineups that you can use Giannis at the fight. Like Giannis is of course the key, just like AD was where you can use him in that, in the small ball five way. Uh, the, I guess the one downside of that compared to the Clippers is that when the Clippers went small, their five was typically like Marcus Morris and could shoot threes. And so therefore they could shape them out. And Giannis is obviously you can't do that with the bucks. You're, you can have four three point shooters with Tucker being at the four, but that, that does shift things a little. And this also, Pete, this is going to sound a little bit unfair, probably for certainly for Suns fans, if there are any uh, that are listening to us. But somebody asked me last night and it right after the game, like, wow, like, like, look, Phoenix looks really great, right? Like they're definitely on the way to the title. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're really good. They're like the third best team in the West. And it's it's again, this is what it's. You never want to say that, but because it's so convenient in a sense for from somebody from the Lakers perspective, oh, if AD doesn't get hurt. But I that's genuinely what I think when I watch them play is that they're really good. They proved I think they're better than Utah. They're at least right there with Denver healthy. That's another thing. Nuggets fans can make a ploy, uh, a play for this with a healthy Murray. But like they are they are still a flawed team and they're not looking flawed right now because of what happened with the injuries in the league. And maybe we should just stop discussing that and just focus on the basketball. But I always end up saying, like, I can't help but reflexively be like, yeah, well, actually, and in thinking about the Lakers. And and, and I I apologize, uh, but that's just where I'm at. No, I mean, that's where, that's obviously something that I feel as well. I will feel a lot better, though, if Phoenix kicks the crap out of Milwaukee in this series. And with respect to, like, Outside of the Lakers and Celtics for opposite reasons, I don't really care who wins the title. I do, though, want it to be a certain level of team, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. there's going to be a Toronto where they played a team that was the prohibitive favorite, but they got eviscerated by injuries. It's more the entire run, not facing anybody that has their guys. And so it, Giannis might not be fully healthy, but that's going to happen in the playoffs. AD wasn't fully healthy post game four. If Phoenix goes out and kicks the crap out of Milwaukee, the 
legitimacy, the respect that I will give this run is it goes up, right? It's not something that is the same as facing everybody that has their guys or even most teams that had their, have their guys. But there's some degree, Mike, of like Milwaukee's a good team. They should have lost in the second round too, right? We always look at this through the Phoenix lens, but it, it it's true of both teams. And if there's that sort of discrepancy, I'd feel better about it from like, yeah, that's a legit title team standpoint. That being yeah. said, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's always like when in any type of a tournament environment, if you lose and the team that beats you ends up winning, you can tell, you can spin the narrative, right? That, well, you know, you, you are better than all the other teams that that team beat and it just happened to not catch them. So I guess that, and, and I'll, I'll say this too, though both of these teams will be legitimate title teams. Like they're not, both of them are good. Like these are not teams that lucked their way into it and, and got there just on a fluke. Like obviously they were helped by injuries. Injuries do happen in every postseason, and they've just happened more here, but yeah, I, you're right. It's it's, they are both good enough uh, to me to win a title. And I would, I would favor Phoenix based on how things have gone so far. I just think that it'll be a little tighter than, than folks that just watch game one might think. I absolutely agree. And I think that uh, Drew Holiday is going to be a real key as to whether or not that happens. All right. Tomorrow we'll be back with a, a Lakers pod and we'll continue to cover the rest of the series as it progresses. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.